afternoon or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and I'm joined this week by my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. And Hal, it seems that unlike several weeks ago, when we talked about a tale of two conferences with the AFC being the Patriots and everybody else and the NFC being wide open, now it seems that both conferences are wide open with no clear Super Bowl favorite as the NFL's 100th season heads into its final quarter. Does it feel that way to you? It certainly does, David. Uh, there's a lot of teams up at the, the top of the standings now that look it looks like a flexible battle here in, in both conferences. Um, New England's got Buffalo nipping at their heels. Baltimore now has Pittsburgh clawing their way back into the playoff picture. You've got Houston. You've got Tennessee making a charge. Kansas City looks to be getting back to their winning ways. It's wide open here as we come down the home stretch. Oh, it most certainly is. And uh, what was your main takeaway from uh, week four, week 13? Well, week 13, it, it got me thinking, you know, in the last, we're going on almost 20 years, uh, there's been one Super Bowl without a Manning, a Brady, or a Roethlisberger. So this year, you can throw out the Mannings and Roethlisbergers. Brady's your only hope to keep this trend going. But 2012, Ravens, 49ers, could we be smelling a rematch? Because on Sunday, that sure looked like a Super Bowl preview in that game. Oh, it most definitely did. And both teams did enough to win that game. And uh, we're going to talk about it later, but that definitely looked like a Super Bowl preview. Easily the game of the week last week. And my Week 13 takeaway was, you mentioned the Steelers. Regardless of how the Steelers season ends, give Mike Tomlin Coach of the Year honors right now. Like, this is easily his best coaching job yet. Like, I wrote him off when uh, they uh, uh, lost in Week 2 and lost Ben Roethlisberger for the season. And when they traded their first-round pick in 2020 for Mika Fitzpatrick, I was like, oh, my God, they just made it worse. How wrong I was. The steel curtain has been rebuilt right before our eyes, and the Steelers are winning games with an undrafted rookie at quarterback and without the services of Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner and obviously Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell gone. Mike Tomlin is coach of the year right now, and it isn't even close. Oh, I couldn't agree more, David. I mean, what a turnaround. I mean, I think everybody in the country had written the Steelers off. And the the turnaround, getting back to playing that Steelers defense that we, we, we've known for so long, and Minka Fitzpatrick, um, you know, the impact that he's had on that team so far this season, and teaming up with Devin Bush at linebacker, it, it's looking like that old-style Steelers defense so strong up the middle there is back again, and Mike Tomlin has got his young team hungry and playing hard. They come down the stretch. And it's going to be a fun conclusion of the Steelers' season, whether they get into the playoffs or not. And now let's play our favorite game, truth or exaggeration. You know how this goes. And we start in Denver, where the Broncos should put Von Miller and his MCL sprain on ice for the remainder of the season. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, that's a definite truth. Denver, you know, they're in a wildly fluctuating position where depending how the rest of this season goes, they could be anywhere from the third pick to the 12th pick in the draft. And there's no playoffs in the future. There's no reason to risk Vaughn Miller having an injury that may set him back at all this offseason. Be extra cautious. Shut him down if necessary. Don't even risk him playing at less than 100%. Oh, especially with Bradley Chubb uh, rehabbing that toward ACL. You don't want both your uh, stud pass rushers uh, rehabbing toward ACL. So definitely, Broncos, put Vaughn on the shelf, do the right thing, and swallow your pride there. And we go to the Patriots, Hal, where Tom Brady only has at most three years remaining in his illustrious NFL career. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, that's the truth. I, I don't think he's, I mean, he still has the arm strength. You still see that. You still see the drive. But at the same time, you know, he's talked about playing to 45 and the fire still burns and all that. But 
two, maybe three years is the max right now. I just can't see him playing past 45. He's got the young family. He's got the outside interests outside of football. He's got the multimillionaire wife. Um, he's got too much going on. He's going to uh, close it out here in the next two or three years, no doubt about it. Yes, and uh, whether you're a Patriots fan or not, enjoy these remaining two or three years of Tom Brady, the best to ever play, the most important position in sports. And you mentioned the Tennessee Titans, and if the Titans make it to the playoffs, they'll be the team nobody wants to face. Truth or exaggeration? I, I think that's the truth, because especially if you're looking at the way this is shaping up coming down the stretch here, and you're going to say, well, it's probably Baltimore and New England. You pencil into those top two spots with the, um, you know, with the bye week. Now you're looking at a Kansas City or a Houston. Ugh, Houston, they play Tennessee twice already. They don't, they don't want to go against them a third time this season. No way, no how. Tennessee is playing strong on both sides of the ball. They adopt head coach Mike Vrabel's pit bull personality. They're not a fun team to be facing in January. Oh, especially with Derrick Henry. Is there any running back who's been more dominant at this point of the season these past couple years than Derrick Henry has been? Nah, this is his time to shine. No doubt about it. Great point, David. Totally. And with uh, Ryan Tannehill playing the best football of his career and making Adam Gase look even more like a like a dunce, and uh, you also have that uh, promising receiving core uh, in Tennessee with A.J. Brown, the rookie from Mississippi State. God, how did he last in the second round? That guy gets open a lot. He's a dangerous weapon in the passing game, and that defense as well, that with Harold Landry shining in his second year, and rookie Jeffrey Simmons and uh, Jarrell Casey, uh, arguably the best free safety in football, and Kevin Byard, man. That Titans defense plus that running game, that is a lethal combination come playoff time. It certainly is. And, I mean, this defense has only given up more than 20 points in three games this season. I mean, this is one of those quiet top five, top ten defenses that doesn't get a lot of national press, but they just go out and stop teams week after week after week. Yes, and they have a golden opportunity to make a lot of statements down the stretch uh, these next four weeks. And the Seahawks and 49ers are not only on a collision course to likely decide who wins the division in week 17, but they're also on a collision course to meet a third time in the playoffs as well. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, there's a, there's a very strong truth there. No doubt about it, David, because whoever doesn't win that division is going to be that nightmare scenario um, for whichever team out of, you know, Green Bay or New Orleans that doesn't get that bye week. Nobody wants to see them uh, in the playoff time. And the NFC East, forget whoever comes out of there. They're just going to get smacked the way it looks right now. So, yeah, that NFC West, those two teams, probably, I mean, it's tough to count out New Orleans, but they're probably the two strongest teams in that conference right now and, and maybe in the entire NFL. Oh, just like it was in 2013, we could be seeing a repeat of that as well uh, come Ooh. January. A rematch of that old NFC Championship game in 2013. And we go to Cleveland now, where after Sunday's loss to the Duck Hodges-led Steelers, Freddie Kitchens is back on the hot seat, and he's a top candidate to be fired at season's end. Truth or exaggeration? Truth, 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 truth. Ron Rivera already got the boot. Freddie Kitchens. Adam Gase, Pat Shermer, I'm putting them all on my list. They are on the hottest of the hut seats, and I haven't seen anything out of any of them for any reason to bring them back. Gase, Kitchen, Shermer, on my hut seat, truth right now. Yes, yeah, and even though it wasn't the main reason that they lost on Sunday to Pittsburgh, uh, far from it, the fact that Freddie Kitchens took a selfie of himself wearing a shirt that said Pittsburgh started it, that's something you just do not do to an opposing team, especially a vaunted rival. No, that is a sign of no discipline starting with their head coach. The head coach doesn't have the common sense. 
he's not going to have the common sense to keep his team in line and keep them disciplined. And that's why you see Cleveland giving away games week after week after week. You said it, and as Michael Lombardi himself said, the Cleveland Browns are a team of characters. They're not a team with character, and in order to become a team with character, they have to replace their head coach right now after the season or um, uh, whenever uh, in time uh, is appropriate. But it has to be after the season or right now, one of those two um, moments in time. And we go to the college ranks, speaking of head coaches and potential head coaching vacancies, where Baylor head coach Matt Rule should be the number one candidate for all NFL teams with a head coaching vacancy. Truth or exaggeration? Well, I guess it's if you can't pry away Lincoln Riley, then it's got to be a truth, right? No one would I put ahead, and he's pretty made it pretty clear it's not he's not going to be pried away from anywhere. So, so yeah, uh, with an asterisk, definitely a truth there, David. Yes, and now we uh, do our weekly spotlight on the coaching carousel like we started last week. And you mentioned Ron Rivera getting the boot, as he did yesterday, from new Panthers owner David Tepper, and that move was coming sooner or later. And uh, But everybody is expecting Ron Rivera to land on his feet again as a head coach in 2020. Um, so I went through a list of all the vacancies, and which of these teams do you think would be the most ideal potential landing spot for Ron Rivera? The Jaguars, the Giants, the Falcons, the Lions, the Browns, the Redskins, or the Cowboys. Ooh. Boy, I'd Riverboat Ron in Dallas. Boy, doesn't that sound intriguing? Ooh, I, <laughs> I kind of see that's at a very interesting match with Jerry Jones there. That could be, you know, the most entertaining situation. I don't know if those personalities would mesh or if they would be in complete conflict. And I think either way it would be fascinating. Um, (laughs) I'm on a personal level loving the Cowboys. I think stability-wise he could step into the Browns, take over that locker room, manage those personalities, get them in line and get them back on track as a potential playoff team. So I think best situation is the Browns' most intriguing, to me, Dallas. Oh, Hal, can you sound the simpatico alert, please? Oh, beep, 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 beep. It's going <laughs> off. I like it. Uh, yes, we're simpatico there. The Cowboys definitely sound like an intriguing landing spot for Ron Rivera, given all the talent on that roster, but Jerry Jones is the problem with that team, like uh, I've been discussing on the show in recent weeks. Jerry Jones wants a puppet to be his new head coach, even after Jason Garrett, and Ron Rivera is not the guy to be Jerry Jones's puppet. Nope. Uh, Jerry Jones is way too meddlesome for Ron Rivera. He's going to need to go to an owner that's going to let him do his own thing, and believe it or not, you're more likely to find that in Cleveland with Jimmy Haslam than in Dallas with Jerry Jones. So, in terms of talent and ideal ownership, believe it or not, you go to Cleveland. So, Ron Rivera's most ideal landing spot is Cleveland. And now let's talk about some of the top candidates for that Carolina Panthers job. Which candidates come to mind for you there? Well, I mean, I, I think when you're looking at Carolina, I think the, one of the top candidates has to be on everybody's list is defensive coordinator Robert Sala in San Francisco. I mean, he's just so much energy he brings. You can just picture him as a head coach on the sideline. He just jumps off of the, um, the page as far as a potential head coaching candidate there. And the other one I would put out there as well Um, I think you have to look at Baltimore, and I think, you know, you've got potential coaching candidates in uh, Greg Roman and Don Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator on both sides of the ball. You've got, you know, serious football guys who have been in the game a long time and are still looking for that chance. And I think they've this season they've really vaulted themselves up into that uh, head coaching search possibility for them both here uh, for the at the end of the season here. Oh, I completely agree. Those are three top-shelf candidates for Carolina, but there is another one also from the 49ers. It is Mike McDaniel, arguably the most uh, important assistant on Kyle Shanahan's offensive staff, man. And uh, with a guy like Chris McCaffrey, 
Christian McCaffrey, who you run that offense through, and the 49ers are a run-centric team, bringing that run-centric-oriented approach back to Carolina, I think, would be very good, and Mike McDaniel would be an ideal candidate as well. What do you think? Oh, that's a that's a great idea. Yes, excellent. And there's somebody definitely should be looked at this offseason coming out of that, you know, Shanahan off offense that always seems to be a, a big trend year after year they they love these guys who know how to run the offenses and they always seem to be at the top of everyone's list so excellent excellent candidate there and you mentioned the Ravens, and we have three games of the week this week, and our first game of the week is the Ravens and Lamar Jackson on an eight-game winning streak traveling to Buffalo to take on the red-hot Buffalo Bills coming off a statement win on Thanksgiving Day in Jerry World, man. And no defense other than the 49ers, in my opinion, has done a better job against the Ravens' offense this season. How capable do you think this Bills defense is of doing as good or an even better job containing Lamar Jackson than the Niners did? You know, I I love the Buffalo defense. I've been talking about them all season long. The job Leslie Frazier's done with this group, the talent that they have at all three levels of that defense on the defensive line, able to rush the passer, able to, to have that strong uh linebacker court, you know, the, the salt of the earth guys, the Matt Milano's and uh, the ageless Lorenzo Alexander out there. And they play so well. And now that defense with Ed Oliver right in the middle of it as well. It, it's just a fantastic unit. And I think the fact that they've had that mobile quarterback, they've, they've had Greg Roman there in Buffalo. They have the Tyrod Taylor offense. They've got Josh Allen, who's a mobile quarterback as well. They draw up running plays for as well. It gives them that that advantage that a lot of other teams don't have against Baltimore. And I think that gives them an excellent chance of being able to keep Baltimore scoring down uh, from where it's been up until they ran into the 49ers in the 30s and the 40s. So I'm looking at more of a challenge for Buffalo to get to uh, for Baltimore to get to 20 points against Buffalo. Oh, that is an excellent point. And speaking of Josh Allen, everybody, and rightfully so, is praising the Ravens for designing a run-first offense to suit the strengths of Lamar Jackson. But shouldn't more people be saying the same about the Bills and what they've done with Josh Allen? Like, I mean, according to Field Yates of ESPN, both these quarterbacks have a combined 1,407 rushing yards this season. And on Sunday, that will represent the highest such total by opposing quarterbacks in the same game in NFL history. I, I agree, David. And, you know, uh, Brian Dable has not been getting the attention that he should be getting. He's been an offensive coordinator uh, in this league, He's you know, 10 years with the Patriots and Tom Brady's offense. He spent a year as the offensive coordinator in Alabama a few years ago as well. You would think that at 44 in this background, he should be probably the hottest coaching candidate this offseason and we hardly ever hear his name it's like you said it's like the, you forget that buffalo's in the nfl sometimes because they just don't get that that attention that they deserve and down the stretch maybe this is their opportunity high profile game against baltimore they have that game on uh against new england as well and in the second to last week of the season as well so they're going to get a couple of high profile opportunities and if Josh Allen and that offense shine, that could be Brian Dable's ticket uh, to that head coaching opportunity for him because he has done magnificent. I've never been shy about my opinion of Josh Allen, and it's never been high. But the fact that this offense is so functional with such an inaccurate quarterback running it is a testament to that offensive system of Brian Dable. Oh, absolutely, and plus, to have a guy who not only worked under Bill Belichick, but Nick Saban as well, I mean, that guy could bring the best of those two worlds together and create, like, a, an extraordinary new culture out of it. Exactly. He's, he seems to check off every box. Offensive mind, young, lots of experience coaching, coaching with Hall of Fame coaches. I mean, I don't know what else you can ask for. Absolutely, and you mentioned Josh Allen. I 
personally met Josh Allen at the Senior Bowl in 2018, and I got to ask him a question. Such a nice kid, and he struck me as a guy that I I rooting I wanted to root for. It's impossible not to root for a guy like Josh Allen. He's just a humble, hardworking, nice kid. And uh, as you, you alluded to, he was heavily doubted by most during the pre-draft process in 2018 because of his accuracy issues, and myself included. But I couldn't be happier that he's proving us all wrong so far in his young NFL career. How has he exceeded your expectations so far? Well, I mean, just the, the ability to, I mean, he's, what, he's two to one touchdown to interception ratio this year. Last year, there was just so much panic in hit in Josh Allen when the play broke down, and you would see him falling into that trap of the young, strong-armed quarterback that's going to force the ball down the field and make a play, and it more often than not was ending up in turnovers. And the ability for him to just bite down and stop that urge to make that play every time and and, you know, that maturity that comes with the quarterbacking to be able to throw the ball away, to be able to tuck it down and take the sack or try to escape rather than risk that turnover there has been such a huge improvement in the offense in that, you know, the defense is, you know, if, they, if Buffalo is punting and forcing teams to go 70 yards, they're going to win every time in that situation. If they're turning the ball over and teams are already in, in the red zone, they're going to end up losing those games. And, and they lost a lot of those games last year with a really good defense. And just the maturity of Josh Allen has been a huge part of their success this season as well. Boop, 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 boop. There's a simpatico alert again. I totally agree. The main thing that has stood out to me about Josh Allen exceeding my personal expectations is his decision-making. L- like you said, he hasn't fallen into that trap this season of that young strong arm quarterback always trying to risk all these tight window throws that get intercepted a lot of the time. He just throws the ball away, tucks it and runs, and takes the sack, uh, doing anything to avoid making such mistakes that are a disservice to the defense, which is the center of this team. Josh Allen deserves a big pat on the back and all the praise in the world for improving his decision-making. And I only expect him to continue improving, and I honestly hope he ends up proving all of us wrong, putting egg on all our faces in the years ahead. And uh, let's go to the Buffalo defense again for a moment. You mentioned Ed Oliver. Uh, He had a pretty quiet start to his uh, rookie season, but he has been on fire in recent weeks he has like four sacks in his last three games and how much more dangerous does Ed Oliver's emergence make this Buffalo defense and what what does he add that wasn't there early in the season well I mean it's it's just that pressure package you know being able to disrupt the pocket to stop the quarterback from being able to step up in that pocket and you know someone else who's been fantastic on that defensive line next to him as well who's been kind of a revelation this year is former Dolphins defensive tackle Jordan Phillips who was a second round pick a few years ago and did nothing in his time in Miami was absolutely terrible Uh, just a a massive waste of talent and he's been excellent uh, playing off of Oliver in that pass rush with the interior and, and bringing that pass rush from the inside now, all of a sudden, you've got opportunities for Jerry Hughes. You've got opportunities for Shaq Lawson, Trent Murphy on the outside that weren't there before. And really, you're seeing the strength of the Buffalo pass rush has shifted from the edge to the interior. And against quarterbacks that aren't overly mobile, that's a nightmare scenario for them. And you see them really struggle against that Buffalo defense with the emergence of Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips there next to him. And that brings us to our key matchups for this game. And one of the matchups I'm looking at is Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips versus any Ravens interior offensive lineman not named Marshall Yanda. And keep in mind, the Ravens lost their center, Matt Skura, for the season a couple weeks ago. And uh, Matt Skura, as was uh, uh, diligently reported by NFL Network's Mike Garofolo, uh was arguably the... Uh, straw that stirs the drink for this offensive line in this offense. So not having him against those stud defensive tackles could really come back to bite the Ravens this weekend. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a big loss because you're, you're talking about, you know, setting the protections, being strong at the point of attack, 
you know, that's driving that running game. That's driving the protections um, as well for Lamar Jackson. So, you know, having Patrick McCarry in there is a big step down from Scooter for Baltimore. And I, and you know, and I think it kind of manifested itself against San Francisco. You could see the offense. Yes, a lot of it was that San Francisco defense that is so strong in so many ways, but disrupting an offensive line with an injury, we've seen it so many times, the ripple effect it has on the protection and on the running game for teams. And that's definitely something that swings the bar in the favor of the Buffalo Bills in that matchup. I completely agree. And another key matchup between the Ravens' offense and Bills' defense, I am watching Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, you forgot to mention him when talking about the yeah. Bills' linebacking core. Uh, yes, I love Matt Milano, Lorenzo Alexander, is an Asa sweater, but Tremaine Edmonds is the Luke Keekley of this uh, Sean McDermott defense uh, in Buffalo, and he and his freakish athleticism being used to spy Lamar Jackson all game long could be even more crucial than the match between uh, Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, and the interior of that Ravens offensive line. Yeah, you, you hit the nail right on the head there, Dave. There are very few middle linebackers in the NFL that can match up with Jackson's athleticism, but Tremaine Edmonds is definitely one of them. Um, you, you can just see the growth to last year where he just played like an athlete and, you know, was really over his head. You could tell he was overthinking plays, running himself out of position. This year, he looked so much more comfortable in his second season there. He's taking a more active lead in that in the defense there setting the plays, knowing where everybody should be, and using that athleticism to make big impact plays. And that is a fascinating matchup that's, that's going to take place there on Sunday as well. And I can't wait to see how that plays out. Oh, me neither. And uh, do you have any other matchups you would like to add to our list of matchups to watch in this uh, game between uh, Baltimore and Buffalo? Well, I, I, I'm going to throw it out there because, you know, it seems like um, – when we talk about Baltimore and we talk about that, that running game is so, so strong. But, you know, Lamar Jackson, he's been so excellent as well passing the ball and seeing the first-round draft pick Hollywood Marquise Brown as well. He's going to have a very interesting matchup with Buffalo secondary, which is so, so strong with those safeties. And top cornerback Tredavious White, who's, growing into one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. And to see Tredavious White going up against the speed and athleticism of Hollywood Brown, uh, they can keep those big plays that Baltimore seems to pull out every single game in check. A lot of that's going to be on Tredavious White's shoulders on Sunday. Oh, it most certainly is. And I would definitely expect uh, Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier to double Hollywood Brown with Tredavious White and either Micah Hyde or Jordan Poy or one of those two safeties that you alluded to. Uh, who do you have coming out on top in this uh, game on Sunday? You know, it's it's almost a coin flip, and, and I really, you know, I really am expecting Buffalo to come out at home, have a, have a strong performance, but those Ravens, I, I just can't pick against the Ravens. They're just, you know, the, the defense is rounding into shape. You're, you're seeing how excellent that secondary is now that everybody's healthy there. And Lamar Jackson, I, I just see him, you know, he seems to find a way to make that play. He's just one of those special players that is able to dig deep and, and make that play when it's needed the most. I see a close game, but Baltimore pulling it out by a late field goal. 20-17. We're supposed to go on the score, but not the results. Because nobody circles the wagons <laughs> like the Buffalo Bills, as Chris Brevard would say. And I think what you alluded to, the advantage that the Bills have in practicing against a running quarterback all week long will come in handy against Lamar Jackson. I expect the Buffalo Bills to come out victorious in this game, 20-17. to 17. And you want to know a big reason why? Stay tuned for bold predictions later in the program. And from Orchard Park to New Orleans, where the San Francisco 49ers take on the New Orleans Saints, who currently occupy the NFC's number one seed heading into the final quarter of this 2019 season. And when you look at the Saints' offense, 
they have a striking similarity to the Patriots' offense at the moment, and here's why. Just like the Patriots' passing game has enormous questions outside of Julian Edelman, the Saints' passing game has enormous questions outside of Michael Thomas. None. Uh, there are two other main wide receivers. Traquan Smith and Ted Ginn Jr. have had more than two receptions in a game since week three. Do you see the 49ers coming up with a similar plan for this game as the Texans had for the Patriots last week, as in, like, double Mike Thomas and dare Traquan Smith and Ted Ginn to beat them? I think that's exactly what they'll do, and you might even see them copy uh, what Houston did a lot with James White in that game, is line up a cornerback inside and have him pick up the running, the receiving running back. And so when Alvin Kamara is out there, he may see the cornerbacks in coverage instead of linebackers and safeties, as that was so effective for Houston early in that game as well. So I definitely think uh, same type of game plan. I'm sure they're thinking of that. You've got to double Michael Thomas. And, you know, like you said, Traquan Smith, Ted Ginn, they haven't been beating anybody this year. So, I would match them up single and, and roll the dice and, and force Drew Brees to throw to a matchup that he doesn't like uh, and take away his, his high-priority targets in Kamara and Thomas. And speaking of Alvin Kamara, this brings us to one of my key matchups for this game. Alvin Kamara, he might not only have trouble against uh, some of the 49ers' corners— I think the 49ers have a certain middle linebacker that is better than most other middle linebackers in covering running backs in this game. His name is Fred Warner. I can't think of any other middle linebacker in this league playing better football than Fred Warner right now. Like last week, he ran stride for stride with Hollywood Brown out of all people downfield, and he broke up that pass. And Fred Warner against Alvin Kamara, I think putting him on Alvin Kamara, the 49ers are going to be comfortable with that. I think Fred Warner has the potential to give Alvin Kamara some nightmares. Do you? Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't see Kamara bouncing plays outside with Warren getting a free run up the middle on him. I, and like you said, that, that coverage ability, he's just got so much athleticism, so much football knowledge, football instincts out there on the field. I mean, he, his performance, you could miss number 54 last week against Baltimore. He was in the middle of every play, it seemed like. And, uh, you know, a, a coming out party from Fred Warner, who's just been absolutely fantastic this year. And he could certainly be a nightmare for the New Orleans Saints. Seriously, I'm going to pitch a fit if Fred Warner doesn't make first-team All-Pro. Do you think he should make first-team All-Pro? Yeah, you know, it, he should, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of voters that just say Keekly by default. But, yeah, Fred Warner has played worthy of that first-team All-Pro this season. No doubt about it. And what are some other key matchups we should be looking for at the Superdome on Sunday? Well, I'm going to be looking at, you know, they're going. New Orleans is going to have to stop that San Francisco pass rush. Uh, Nick Bosa. D. Ford, Eric Armstead, you know, DeForest Buckner in the middle. I mean, this is just a, a wrecking ball of a, of a defensive line that's just shutting down running games, that's just getting after the passer, and that puts a lot of pressure on this New Orleans Saints offensive line. You've got Eric McCoy, who's played very well in the middle, but these, uh, you know, Taron Armstead, Ryan Ramzik, they're getting paid a lot of money. To protect Drew Brees, they're going to have to earn that money this week because San Francisco can bring the pressure without having to blitz. Oh, you said it. And plus, at full strength, this Saints offensive line is easily one of the top three offensive lines in the league, uh, in my opinion. But uh, Teron Armstead did not play uh, last week on Thanksgiving against the Falcons. And if he can't go, that could be a major, major problem for this uh, Saints uh, offensive line. But one of the particular matchups I'm looking for between that Niners uh, front four and the Saints offensive line is DeForest Buckner against Eric McCoy. Because let's say Teron Armstead does play if I want to find a potential weak leak on that Saints offensive line, it is Eric McCoy. Yes, he's been playing some very good football this year, but he is a rookie, and I think DeForest Buckner has the potential to make life very miserable for him. Oh, without a doubt. That, that's going to be a huge matchup. And again, like we said, not just affecting the passing game, but New Orleans needs to have that running game to set up the play action for Drew Brees as well. As 
we've seen when New Orleans gets one-dimensional, they get into trouble. They most certainly do. And uh, let's go back to the 49ers before we make our game picks here. They almost did everything right last week to beat the Ravens. And arguably the main difference in that game turned out to be Jimmy Garoppolo's first quarter fumble. Could a turnover-free game from Jimmy G this week be the key to the Niners pulling out the win? Oh, definitely. I mean, that's been Garoppolo's biggest problem this season. Um, you know, not not really the, the interceptions as much as the fumbles as well. It's just holding on to that football in, the, in contact, and that, that's a problem young quarterbacks sometimes have to overcome. And we forget with Garoppolo having been in the league so long, he really hasn't had a lot of experience due to being stuck behind Tom Brady and then injuries as well when he has gotten his chance. So really he's entering he's really like his second full season here as a quarterback that despite his age. And so, yeah, I mean, turnover free football, like we talked about with Buffalo and Josh Allen is really going to be a key for San Francisco where they can, you know, if they can not create these, opportunities for their opponents and put pressure on their defense and just let teams try to have to drive 70, 80 yards against their defense. That's a win every single time for San Francisco with that defense. Do you think San Francisco wins this game? I do. I do have the 49ers bouncing back with a win. Um, I think they're, they're just going to smother New Orleans in this game. I have them winning pretty easily 24 to 10 over the Saints. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens because the Saints have looked very, very vulnerable in recent weeks. Heck, this is a team that fell flat on its face at home to the Atlanta Falcons of all teams, for crying out loud, and they almost choked away a lead in Atlanta thanks to a couple outside kicks last week. And yes, I agree. I think it's going to be closer, but I do think the 49ers win. I think there's a lot of holes on that Saints offense that the 49ers will exploit on defense. And as long as uh, Jimmy G plays turnover-free football and they run the ball effectively, the 49ers should win this game, and I have them winning the game 23-20. to And now we go to your backyard in Foxborough, where the New England Patriots, fresh off a loss to Deshaun Watson and the Texans, have to face another strong young quarterback in Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs this week. I did a rematch of last year's AFC Championship thriller. And the Texans, I I challenged them in my challenge flag last week to do what they could to free DeAndre Hopkins up against Stephon Gilmore, and they did. Like, what do you think the Texans did to get more than their fair share of big plays in the passing game last week against the vaunted Patriots secondary, and how could the Chiefs do so? Well... One thing that I thought Houston did is they gave um, the Patriots a, a dose of their own medicine. Former offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien said, you know, what the Patriots like to do is they love to throw to their tight ends. They love to get their running backs involved in the passing game and negate the the strong secondaries that they're up against. And we we really saw Houston do that. There was a ton of Duke Johnson in that game catching the ball running the ball out of passing sets. You saw the tight ends involved, uh, touchdowns there. Bell's caught a touchdown in that game as well. And really, they basically took the New England cornerbacks out of the game for most of that game. And then, you know, a few well-timed to get them, uh, lull them to sleep or, or get them into a situation where the Patriots in desperation mode were trying to create a turnover with blitzes and, when you get those one-on-one matchups, that's when you're going to win those situations, and that's what they were able to do against New England. Now, whether the Kansas City defense can do that, that mm, is going to be a little more interesting to see if they can work those kind of matchups with that uh, system. I mean, granted, you've got Travis Kelsey that's involved in that passing game, but you know, is it going to be a heavy workload for LaShawn McCoy with – uh, Daryl and Damian Williams both injured here. It's it's going to be tough for the Chiefs. You, you know that offense is going to have to run through those wide receivers, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, uh, McCole Hardman, even if her couple shots downfield. It, it's a wide receiver-centric offense as much as Kelsey is involved in it, and really he's, he's a big wide receiver. Let's just call him what he is. So I think it's going to be a little different philosophy there 
for the Chiefs than what Houston was able to do against the Patriots. Oh, that was one of the first things I noticed because if there is a weak spot in this Patriots pass defense, it is their linebackers and coverage. That that is exactly what Bill O'Brien exploited. I look for the Chiefs to try to exploit it with Travis Kelsey and uh, with the Williams brothers out. Look for the rookie Darwin Thompson to get his fair share of snaps as well. Darwin Thompson is a rock-solid receiving running back, and he could have a coming-out party on Sunday if Andy Reid is willing to use him. And that's the big question. Does Andy Reid, how adaptable is his offense, and how much is he going to say, look, at, I'm just going to trust in Patrick Mahomes, that if anybody's going to make plays against this secondary, it's going to be Mahomes. Yes, and you mentioned uh, McCall Hardman because obviously the uh, Patriots uh, taking away Tyree Kill in in that AFC Championship game last year was pretty much the end-all, be-all in that game. But with the presence of another speedy speed demon opposite of Tyree Kill and McCall Hardman, how significant can that presence be in this game? Yeah, I mean, and that's a very, very interesting matchup because you know I think going into the AFC championship game we all kind of just said well the Patriots best cornerback is Stefan Gilmore so they'll stick him on Tyreek Hill and Bill Belichick of course zagged when everybody else zigged and did the opposite of that and put uh put him on the other wide receiver Sammy Watkins instead and you know basically had his fastest cornerback on the roster covering Tyreek Hill with a safety dedicated to Hill across the board. So that, how he plays that, obviously I'm sure he's expecting Andy Reid to make adjustments to that. So there'll be adjustments to that defensive wrinkle uh, for the Patriots as well. And and maybe we'll get to see Gilmore on there. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting for the Patriots what they do with the slot cornerback, Jonathan Jones, because he's the one with the, the 4-3 speed there, the type who can keep up with Tyreek Hill, uh, where he plays in the slot a lot of the time. He is comfortable if Hill's coming out of the backfield, picking him up in coverage, or Hill's out uh, where Hill drops in to the slot, uh, gives a lot of teams headaches in those formations. Shouldn't bother Jones as much. I, I kind of expect him to be on that matchup there and kind of negate that. And as far as Hardman, I mean, we just might see the Patriots just keeping uh, both safeties deep, uh, sort of like a, you know, old-style Bill Belichick defense where you drop those two safeties all the way back and nobody makes a big play against you, and the, the front nine have to do extra work in that game just to take away big plays. Oh, definitely. And you mentioned Sammy Watkins. After uh, exploding in week one, Sammy Watkins has been invisible all season long. So if they do put Jonathan Jones against Tyreek Hill, uh, don't you think it's possible that Stephon Gilmore gets put on uh, Nicole Hardman instead of Sammy Watkins? Yeah, it's definitely a possibility there as well, because like you said, I mean, Watkins has been the invisible man after that great start to the season he had. Um, He's just kind of done a, I don't know what you call it, a Sammy Watkins. He just disappears as the season goes on. And that seems to be his uh, M.O. for his career now going in, went back when he was with the Rams and when he was with Buffalo. And it seems like it's happening again, all that talent that Watkins has. And it seems like every year it's something that's happening that causes this, I don't know what it is, this, this Sammy Watkins Dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you said it. And as I alluded to, the Patriots passing game is struggling because nobody, aside from Julian Edelman or James White, is winning their routes. And this Chiefs pass defense has been playing a lot better football in recent weeks, uh, especially their two safeties, the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, and rookie Juan Thornhill, who I interviewed at last year's Senior Bowl. I always thought there was problems with Juan Thornhill and now he is showing with with some excellent performances these past uh, couple of weeks but if there's a Patriots pass catcher not named Julian Edelman or James Wade that could go off against this Chiefs pass defense who is it? That's a that's a great question I I think you know the expected answer is Mohamed Sanu Um, you know veteran receiver can work out of the slot let Edelman slide to the outside in, in different formations as well, has the uh, ability to, to pick that up. But, 
but I, I'm really expecting to see more of Nikhil Harry. I think that early interception against Houston where Harry was beaten to the ball by uh, Brandon Roby, and I, I don't think Tom Brady was very happy and didn't think that he drove back for the ball, and he just disappeared from the offense the rest of the game. I think the Patriots have an opportunity to get him their first-round pick out there and get him to use his size uh, against Kansas City and win some matchups there on the outside because that's what they desperately need to do. And if you, you look at those Kansas City cornerbacks, you've got Javavius Ward, Rashad Breland, Kendall Fuller. None of those guys are equipped to handle that kind of size and athleticism. And if Harry can use that size effectively on the edges, he can become a huge weapon for the Patriots in this game. Oh, he most certainly can, particularly in the red zone. And who do you have coming out on top Sunday afternoon in Foxborough? Well, I mean, Andy Reid versus Bill Belichick. I mean, that's always a fantastic matchup. Um, I, you know, one of the things that struck me with the Patriots against Houston is falling behind early is, you know, they have the entire plane full of players suffering from the few flew. I think there was almost a dozen of them that flew into Houston and they really didn't come out with a lot of energy in that game. And I'm expecting they're going to be healthy, um, closer to full strength this week, playing at home. And I think that's going to be enough of an advantage. I, I think the offense is going to figure things out. I think with this point of the season last year, we were saying the same thing about the Patriots offense. Um, they found a way. It's been 18 years. They seem to always find a way. I'm going to stick with the Patriots at home in a close game, uh, 27 to 24 over the Chiefs. There's the simpatico alert again. I agree. I think the Patriots, uh, although it's still to be determined whether they can make it to the Super Bowl with this offense, uh, this Chiefs defense presents this offense with a lot of opportunities to get back on track, and I think they do get back on track this Sunday, and they win a similarly uh, high-scoring game, as you said. I have a 24-21. You have a 27-24. to And now let's pick the rest of these uh, Week 14 games, starting with tonight in Chicago, where the Chicago Bears at 6-6 six and six host the NFC East, or NFC least leading Dallas Cowboys <laughs> at 6-6. Six and six. Uh, I uh, I still don't trust Mitchell Trubisky, I, but I think this is going to be a very ugly relatively low scoring game, but at the end I have the Cowboys sneaking out a 2013 win. Yeah. I, I can't decide between the Eagles and the Cowboys, like, you know, which team wants it the least here. I've, I've never seen teams trying to give away the division lead like this. Um, boy, you know, two teams that had high expectations coming into this season, middling along at 500. I'm just going to give the advantage to the home team and say Chicago figures out a way 20-17 over the Cowboys. The Washington Redskins have won two in a row, but this week they have to go to Lambeau Field to take on the Packers. Do you think that winning streak ends? Oh, I definitely think it ends this week. I think uh, Green Bay is going to win this game, and it's going to be pretty easy for them. Um, I have it as a 27-13 two-score win for the Packers. Yeah, I'm in the neighborhood right there, although I do have the Packers uh, scoring over 30. Let's say 31-13 to 13 Packers over Redskins. And the Carolina Panthers under interim head coach Perry Fuel traveled to Atlanta to take on the Falcons and uh, Dad Quinn, who is pretty much a lame duck at this point. Uh, I actually am going to pick the Falcons in this one. The Panthers are, are really, uh, yes, you could argue that the coaching change might uh, uh, stimulate them a little bit, but the way that defense has been playing all year, I think the Falcons' offense, well, with Austin Hooper coming back especially, should be able to take advantage of their weaknesses against the pass. I like the Atlanta Falcons to eke out a 27-20 win. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a close one. Um, I think Atlanta, you know, I think you, you saw the burst, the the attempt to to preserve their coach's job, and now they've just fallen back to earth and they're playing out the string. Um, basically two teams pulling out the string. Um, I'm going to give, uh, say, you know, maybe one, uh, one or two big plays by Christian McCaffrey makes a difference and it'll be Carolina 
twenty to eighteen over Atlanta. My fantasy team would appreciate that this week in the first week of the fantasy <laughs> playoffs. So hope you're right there. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals no longer winless travel to Cleveland to take on the Clown Show and Freddie Kitchens and the Cleveland Browns. And uh, do you think the Bengals could uh, eke out an upset this weekend? Yeah, I mean the, the offense is actually functional with Andy Dalton, and you know we talked about when he was benched earlier in the season. It, it wasn't anything that he was doing wrong. I think you know I think it was just head coach Zach Taylor knew it was a lost season and you know just wanted to you know, see what he had, see what Ryan Finley could do. And it was obviously nothing. So he went back to Andy Dalton. Um, yeah. I mean, if they can get Joe Mixon running the ball effectively, um, I think they can do enough to win. Um, whether they will this week on the road against Cleveland, uh, I, I, I still think Cleveland just has too much talent and finds a way to win it. But I think Kansas City will put up a good fight. I have Cleveland winning 24-22 to 22 over the Bengals. I think Cincinnati pull, puts up a good fight as well, but the Browns eke out an ugly 20-16 to 16 victory. The Minnesota Vikings, fresh off that uh, inspiring um, come-from-behind effort in Seattle, uh, they get some uh, much-needed get-well medicine with that atrocious Lions defense coming to town. David Blau will make some throws in this game, but I think the Vikings get back on track with a 31-17 win. Yeah, I mean, you know, Detroit, it's just the, the wheels are coming off there as they come around the home stretch here. It's, uh, it's going to be a regroup and uh, retry next year and see what happens and how far they can fall and improve that draft pick. Uh, Minnesota, pretty easy win. I've got it 27-12 to 12 over the Lions. And if uh, it wasn't for Mike Tomlin, uh, I would give my Coach of the Year honors to Brian Flores because – who has done more with less this season outside of Mike Tomlin, Brian Flores? Can't find anybody. Can't. And, uh, and as Chris Berman would say, oh, those tricky Dolphins. Oh, my God. That uh, that first ever um, punter to kicker touchdown connection in NFL history uh, last week. Oh, my God. That was a, a thing of beauty and how they just took it to that Eagles defense all Sunday long, and this week uh, they go to MetLife to play the Jets and former Dolphins head coach Adam Gase. I think uh, Adam Gase continues to make the Jets regret they hired him as the Dolphins win another one, uh, 21-14. Yeah, I'm leaving on this one, David. I'm picking the Dolphins as well. I mean, not only have they won, you know, three out of their last five games, but they were competitive against Buffalo. They were competitive against the Browns and, and really just, you know, bubbled the game away that they really had a chance of winning that game. I think they outplayed the Browns and, you know, uh, it's uh, Brian Flores has been absolutely fantastic. You talk about a coach that commands respect and the players match his personality. Uh, that's what you're starting to see happen in Miami. That's called building the foundation and that's why you want to find those type of players to be your head coach. And like you said, not a clown like Adam Gase, um, where we see, you know, the entire problem with Ryan Tannehill. Maybe it was just that he was playing for Adam Gase. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I've got Miami winning this one over the Jets 27 to 23. Uh, Miami defense needs a little work, so it'll be a little close there. The Indianapolis Colts have fallen from race after an impressive 5-2 start to the season. They're now 6-6, six and six, and their playoff hopes are slipping away. Jacoby Brissett, he might be a top-tier backup spot starter, but I don't think he's anything more than that. And they travel to Tampa to take on a red-hot Tampa Bay Buccaneers team uh, that is hitting their stride, and they want to close the season strong to give them more momentum headed into year two of the Bruce Arians regime uh, in Tampa. And I think Tampa does win a close, hard-fought game, 28-24. Uh, to 24. Yeah, I, I, I'm picking Tampa here in this game as well. Um, the Colts, injuries ravaging that team, and, you know, they really didn't have a chance once they, uh, Luck retired as well. Um, I like Jacoby Brissett. He's easy to root for, but he just doesn't have that uh, QB1 tools or personality to do it. Um, should be a fun, high-scoring game, I think. Um, 
you know, maybe we'll see a few interceptions uh, thrown as well uh, by, by uh, Jameis Winston to add to that total. But um, I've got Tampa Bay pulling it out somehow, 34-30 to 30 over the Colts. Drew Locke making his second start of his career for the Broncos as they travel to Houston to take on Deshaun Watson and the Texans coming off that statement victory over the New England Patriots. Uh, because uh, this is only a second start and the Texans secondary has some deficiencies, I think the Broncos uh, start off this game uh, a little bit better than many will expect. But at the end of the day, the Texans start running away with the game uh, in the mid to late second quarter, 42-17 Texans. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the Broncos have have been tough at times, you know, beating the Chargers. They put up a good fight against Minnesota, and I think that's good to see. But, you know, the the injuries are are just decimating that defense right now. Um, I I just don't see how they they stay in the game. I think they put up a good fight as well, and uh, Houston just rolls away at the end. I have it uh, close in the first half, but 31-16 to 16 is the final Houston winning. The Los Angeles Chargers in what could be the final four games of Phillip Rivers' career as a Charger traveled to Jacksonville to take on the Fu Manchu, who's back in business, and the Jaguars. Uh, this has been the most Charger season in history, and if it's the final season of Phillip Rivers' career, I feel even worse for him because talk about a team that's four and eight and has a point differential of plus three. Oh my God. It hurts. <laughs> that said, I think they're overdue for some better luck this time. It's going to be a very close, relatively low scoring game, but I have the chargers eking out a 24 17 victory over the Jaguars. Yeah. I don't even have it that close. I think the chargers are going to roll into Duval and just blow out Jacksonville. I think that defense has uh, basically mailed it in for the rest of the season. Um, I, they haven't even shown up since uh, I, I don't even know when October, maybe, you know, um, I, I think this is a easy win. We'll see Phillip rivers get a little bit of his mojo back here. Um, and we see that I have the chargers winning 33 to 13 over the Jaguars. The red-hot Tennessee Titans travel to the Black Hole for the first of the final two games of the Raiders in Oakland to take on the Raiders, who have absolutely been horrendous these past two weeks. That said, the Raiders, are, I believe, are going to come into these next two games with heightened emotion because it's their final two games in Oakland. And the Titans, this game is sandwiched between a big game against Diddy and next week against Houston. This is a classic trap game for the, for a team like the Titans. I have the Raiders eking out a close high scoring victory, 29, 26. Yeah. I mean that, that Raiders defense, it just ooh, falls apart game after game. Um, I'd like to see Oakland pull it out and try to push their way back into the playoff pictures. Um, I just think Tennessee's just clicking right now. I've got them uh, putting up over 30 points on Oakland and winning um, by a touchdown, 31-24. The Pittsburgh Steelers travel to Arizona to take on Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. This is a potential trap game for Duck Hodges and the Steelers, but I just love the way Mike Tomlin's been coaching all season long, as I've alluded to throughout this episode. And I just don't see them falling flat on their face in the desert. I am taking the Steelers to win 21 to 10. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Pittsburgh should win the game and I, and I agree. It is a little bit of a trap game there. Um, you know, I mean, I, I really thought Arizona was going to show up uh, last week against the Rams, and we certainly saw the opposite of that. Um, I, I, I have a feeling Arizona, just going with my gut, I think they're going to bounce back this game, and they're going to find a way to pull it out at home. I have them beating Pittsburgh in a low-scoring affair, 17-14 to 14 in my upset special. And uh, as a Broncos fan, I would appreciate that outcome in terms of draft slots, so uh, <laughs> hopefully that happens. And... Uh, on Sunday Night Football, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks travel to L.A. to take on the Rams. And the Rams, this is a do-or-die game for them. 
pretty much like the past couple weeks have been, but still, the Rams are in a do-or-die position. And uh, in, in their last meeting, there were only a missed field goal in the final second away uh, from beating the Seahawks in Seattle. This, I think, is a trap game for Russell Wilson and company. Yeah, I mean, it, it very well could be. I mean, this is, you know, the Rams seem to, as, I mean, it's horrible as they looked against Baltimore the week before. They just came out and were clicking on all cylinders last week against the Cardinals. It's, it's you know, you don't know what you're going to get out of the Rams, but you're, you're at home. It's a primetime matchup. You, this is the Super Bowl team from last year. Yeah, this is definitely a trap game for Seattle. I think this is going to be a tough one. I think it's going to be a tough one as well, but I just cannot uh, bet against Russell Wilson right now. And added to the fact that that Seahawks defense is showing a lot of continued improvement these past uh, several weeks. And uh, going against uh, Jared Goff, who said more of a down year than an up year, I think they should be able to make enough plays to eke out a close, high-scoring 31-28 victory. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I, I think the Rams are going to come out. Um, it's going to be really interesting for that first half, and then Russell Wilson's just going to find his way. The defense will settle in for Seattle, um, and then I've got them pulling away in the second half, 36-20 to 20 over the Rams. And on Monday Night Football, in what appeared to be a snoozer on paper, Got a little more interesting today, as it appears that Eli Manning will be starting again. Yes, that Eli Manning will be starting again for the Giants as Daniel Jones nurses a moderate high ankle sprain. Uh, and the Eagles play host to Eli Manning in what could very well be his final game in Philadelphia as a NFL quarterback. So uh, the Eagles, they have been a major train wreck all season long, but... At the same time, the Giants are not the Dolphins. The Dolphins are a much better uh, low-tier team than the Giants are. The Dolphins are much better coach, and the Giants are a million times worse, and their head coach is fighting for his life. Saquon Barkley has been absolutely abysmal this season because I think he, he rushed back way too soon from that injury, and I think it continues against the Eagles. This is a get-well game for the Eagles at the right time. Eagles, I think, have a pretty easy 33-17 to win. Yeah, I mean, it should be an easy win for Philadelphia. They just can't seem to do anything easy this year. Um, They should just come out, pound the ball against the Giants. I I think they can do that. They should do that and will do just enough to get the win here. But I think uh, Eli and the Giants will somehow keep it close. But Philadelphia 24-20 over the Giants. And now we move on to our bold predictions for this weekend. Hal, what is your bold prediction for Week 14? Well, we, we I started talking about the Chargers and I, how I think they're just going to come out and blow the doors off of Jacksonville. So my bold prediction, after all the Phil Rivers down year, the struggles, he lets it out and takes it out on that Jacksonville defense. I see four passing touchdowns. I see him hitting 400 yards through the air. I see... Um, you know, just blowing the doors. I'd, I'd give him some rushing yards, but it's still Rivers, so I can't. But 400 yards rushing, four touchdowns, and uh, everybody goes, wow, maybe he is not done after this week. That is a pr- pretty nice bowl prediction there. And my bowl prediction is going to be in Buffalo, where Josh Allen will run for 100 more yards than Lamar Jackson does. Because, like Woo. I said, the Bills have the speed and the discipline on defense to contain uh, Lamar Jackson and practicing against a similarly mobile quarterback all week long in practice against Josh Allen is uh, going to help them big time. And the Ravens just don't have the speed at linebacker that the Bills do. So that's why I think Josh Allen runs for 100 more yards than Lamar Jackson does as the Bills upset the Ravens at home. And last but not least, our challenge flags. I'll go first here. My challenge flag goes to the Oakland Raiders. All right, these next two weeks... Uh, Not only are you fighting for your playoff lives, these are the final two games in Oakland. Play the best game you've ever played in your life, Raiders, especially these next two weeks. Give Raiders fans something memorable, something to smile about for the rest of their lives these next two weeks as you play your final two games in Oakland. What is your challenge flag, Hal Bent? My challenge flag is going to Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. 
You are the number one seed right now. Yes, you've had your struggles since the bye week. The offense has been off kilter. You haven't scored more than 23 points since before the bye week. But this is the week to step up to the challenge. You're not going to face a tougher defense than these San Francisco 49ers. This is the time for Drew Brees. We're into December. Step up. Make the plays. If you have to throw the ball to Ted Ginn Jr., they, damn it, throw the ball to Ted Ginn Jr. Let him use his speed and size and get open. Trust your team around you. Trust that strong offensive line. Make the plays. Stand strong and hold on to that number one seed and charge into the playoffs. Drew Brees in the same. He is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. You can catch his work at FullPressCoverage.com. And if you're a Patriots fan, MusketFire.com. Thank you, Hal, so much as always. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch with DCROM. But we'll be back next week to not only preview Week 15 of this 2019 NFL season, but kick off our 2020 NFL draft coverage as well. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrutch.com. And remember, that is Crutch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.